Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. Welcome to worship. I'm going to ask you to stand here in the room. Good morning to those joining us online. We pray that you worship with us, that the Lord would minister to your heart as well. It's so good to see you. It's good to be together to lift up the name of Jesus. He is worthy of our lives. He is worthy of it all. And so we praise him. Prepare your heart to encounter him. Amen. That's why we're here, to see him, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Hear are these words from Psalm 89. Let them call you to worship. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known throughout all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? Who is like you? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Let's praise him. Who is like him? Jesus reigns. Who is 
transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out Create in me a pure heart, O God. Let's say that again. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not 
me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Yes, Lord. Restore our souls as we look to you, Jesus. Restore my soul.
us again and again and again. Every day, every moment. Lead us to your cross. Where we find the mercy and grace we need. Thank you, Lord, that we live under the cross. We live in your love and forgiveness. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hi, my name's Dan. And I'm Kathy. And uh, we're both leaders at Regeneration here at Wheaton Bible. We've been married now 26 years. And we just celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary this past Sunday. Mm -hmm. And um, we started to come to the Regeneration program because, um, you know, we were struggling with a lot of the um, challenges of, you know, being married, raising four kids. One of the things that I struggled with is I went from becoming a casual drinker to really seeking um, and using alcohol every night as just a way of escaping all of the pressures that I was feeling. Yeah, that's what brought us to regeneration. Once we started to go, um, we just found this band of other people who are were struggling with life's issues. What it really does is it lets you know that all that you're struggling with, Christ died for. So you've already been forgiven for all your sins past, current, and in the future. So it starts to have you rely on God rather than yourself. Rely on His strength because I'm weak. So it's, it's really not about me at all. It's about um, me giving in to loving Him like He loves me. Yes, it's a, it, it's a Bible study, but it also helped you to be intimate with God. I had done Bible studies and, you know, I would answer my questions in my workbook, but it, it taught me how to be quiet and to listen and spend time with Christ where I had never done that before. As a result, all of the relationships that I had damaged, I have since restored. And I, I didn't want to go back to any form of isolation. So for me, staying involved with the men's group um, keeps me focused on God every day, and it's right the place where I need to be right now. And it's not only brought us husband and wife closer, it's brought us closer with our family and our children. And we've been able to share this experience with them, and it's just been healing. The people with regeneration, there's no judgment. We're there to lift each other up in prayer and to love one another and encourage one another. They really helped us significantly in our marriage um, and, uh, and have made a big impact. Uh, in particular, it changed our lives. I have no words for it. Thank you, thank you. Yes. Changes lives, amen? What a great story of the power of the gospel via the Holy Spirit uh, to intervene. And that's what we want 
for you. That's what we want for your friends and family and your neighbors. That's why the church of Jesus Christ exists. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in light of what we have just seen, in light of what we have heard, in light of your incredible mercy and uh, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that we have been singing about, we come to you and we ask that you would rain down righteousness. We've had a lot of rain lately, Father, and we pray that you would rain down righteousness and you would let the clouds shower it down. You would let the earth open wide and salvation spring up and righteousness with that. And I want to pray that for my brothers and sisters here at Wheaton Bible Church. That in their individual lives and in their families and their friendships and their workplaces and their neighborhoods, that you, God, would rain down righteousness. The clouds would shower the wonder of the life-changing good news of the gospel down so that our hearts would open wide to Jesus. And as a result, we pray for the communities around us that salvation would spring up and righteousness would grow with it. We pray that out of your glorious riches, you would fill us with power by your Spirit in our inner being so that Jesus would dwell in our hearts by faith. And we know, Father, that to be a believer means that Christ is inside us. And what Paul is praying here in Ephesians chapter 3, Lord, we want that while Christ is in us, we want to be able to experience Jesus, to know what it means to be covered by the blood, to be covered by the ongoing mercy of a bleeding and dying Savior, that Jesus experientially would dwell in our hearts by faith. So that we, being rooted and grounded in that love, may have the power with all of God's people to grasp how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we might be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Father, I pray that, that you would work to that end in our lives, that Jesus would not be on the fringes that he wouldn't be in the corner of our lives, that he would be at the center and that he would dwell in our hearts by faith and we would be people that know the surpassing love of Jesus. Renew us. Use this series to change us. Bless us. And we thank you that we can give to you as the people of God because you, by the power of the gospel, as we have just seen, are changing us. Help us to believe that. Give us that boldness. And we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So today we are launching this God series. God sent Jonah on a mission to go to Nineveh. But Jonah didn't want to go and decided to sail... God sent Jonah on a mission to go to Nineveh. But Jonah didn't want to go and decided to sail far away. When the boat was at sea, a dangerous storm threatened to destroy the ship. The mariners were afraid and tried to save the ship. The captain urged everyone, including Jonah, to cry out to their God for help. 
that they might be saved from the storm. So we come to the book of Jonah. This fascinating, well-known Old Testament story. 2,800 years ago, God, the living God, speaks to Jonah and says, Jonah, go! And Jonah says, no! (laughs) Marking him, making him an illustration of our ongoing battle as believers in Jesus Christ, I mean as believers in Jesus Christ, with God's designs and God's directives for our lives. Jonah comes alive when I realize I am Jonah. It will come alive for you when you realize you are Jonah. We all have pockets of resistance. Uh, We all have areas where we say, no, God, no, thank you, Uh, not right now. We all have areas where we flee and we run. And today I want to talk about that as we start this series, as we launch it. But there's more to these initial verses we're going to look at this morning than merely Jonah's disobedience. We also have a profound illustration, and we'll see many iterations of this in the book of Jonah, a profound illustration of God's mercy, divine mercy. Mercy that is incredible, uh, mercy that is life-changing. You see, like any book in the Old Testament, Jonah is ultimately not about Jonah, it's about God. Just as your life ultimately isn't about you and your agenda, it's about God and his agenda. Amen? Oh, no. It's about God and his agenda. Amen? Amen. And to the extent we understand that we live the lives, we are free to live the life by the power of the Spirit uh, that God wants us to live. So as great as Jonah's disobedience is, What the book of Jonah tells us is it pales in comparison to the greatness of the mercy of God revealed here. Now, I'm going to say this now. I'm going to say this a couple of times. And this is a key to your life in Christ. To the extent, and the reason this matters so much as we talk about mercy is because To the extent you experience the felt mercy of God in your life, you will be great spiritually. I'll come back to that. And so today I want to talk about Jonah's disobedience. I want to talk about God's mercy. Let's stand as we read the first six verses of this crazy story. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, modern Jaffa, near Tel Aviv, where he found a ship bound for that port. 
After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. Again, God wants us to understand to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord said a great wind. So we've seen that Nineveh is a great city. Now God sends a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors, seasoned sailors, were afraid. And each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. And that's God's word. And you may be seated And there is so much here. Jonah's disobedience is the first three verses. Uh, Divine mercy, at least here, we'll see in verse 4. So let me begin with Jonah's resistance. I want you to see this in the first two verses. God's word comes to him and God's word says, go. Uh, God is commanding him to go to the center of the great, world-dominating Assyrian Empire. But what I want you to understand, and as you've thought about this story, if you've ever read this story, you may never have thought about it, this command is shocking. It's unprecedented in the Old Testament. Jonah wasn't just to utter oracles against Assyria, like other prophets in the Old Testament do, while inside the safety of Israel, if Israel was that safe during the days of Jonah. But Jonah was to go to the capital and preach against the wickedness of Nineveh. God had never asked any single prophet, not not Jeremiah, not Isaiah, not Amos, uh, no one to do this. And Jonah was shocked. But what was even more shocking is that this command defied all the sensibilities of Judaism. Jonah, with all of Israel, knew that the mighty city of Nineveh was not just the essence of evil, it was the essence of anti-God power. Uh, Parts of the city were like Sodom on steroids. It was a cauldron of corruption. History tells us it, it was one of the most cruel empires in the ancient Near East, especially brutal towards, towards its enemies, like the Jews. Nineveh was such an affront to the holiness of God that the only thing it deserved was destruction. So thought Jonah. Other prophets agreed. Everyone in Israel hated the Assyrians and feared the Assyrian power. So look at what, uh, for example, Nahum says. King of Assyria, now here he's prophesying the destruction of the Assyrian Empire. Nothing can heal your wound that is fatal. All who hear the news uh, about you, they clap their hands at your fall. And then notice this, who has not felt your endless cruelty? That's Assyria, that's Nineveh. Endless cruelty. 
So Jonah wasn't just bewildered that God had called him to go to the royal city. Uh, uh, one day it will be the capital. If it wasn't the capital, functioning as the capital in, in Jonah's day. And to preach against the city. Jonah wasn't just bewildered. He was furious. What God was asking him to do went against everything God, Jonah rather knew about the character of God. Furthermore, it was a death sentence for Jonah. It's like asking a Jew in the 1940s to go to Berlin and to preach against the evilness, uh, the wickedness, uh, Nazi Germany's reign of terror at the height of their reign of terror. Now let me say something about self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is when you assign to yourself a righteousness that you do not possess and you judge others for their failure to measure up to your standard be careful of self-righteousness when it comes to how you view Jonah this was shocking and now this brings us to verse 3 this famous statement, and Jonah ran away. He ran away, he fled, he took off. Uh, Nineveh was 400 miles to the north and the east. Uh, Tarshish, we don't know exactly uh, as a matter of history where Tarshish was. There's speculation that it was all the way on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea in Spain. Uh, so you got 400 miles here, and that would have been about 18 miles due west. In other words, by listing these cities um, and noting these geographically, evidence of the history of the, the book of, of Jonah, uh, the God, God is telling us that Jonah did exactly the opposite of what God commanded him to do. Now again, be careful of self-righteousness. I mean, isn't this just like when God invites us, God calls us, God commands us to regularly, to routinely, to daily search the scriptures so we can learn more and more about the life-giving beauty and wonder and mercy and grace that is found in Jesus Christ? And yet, what do we do? Well, we're just too busy. I mean, we got games, we got this, we got TV. And God says, go, and we say, no. Or isn't this just like when we give up attending church regularly? I mean, it's not convenient. Meeting with other believers, uh, giving, serving, uh, 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 sacrificing. It's just like what a friend said to me one time when he said, Rob, I don't care what God says, I've had it. You and I are Jonah. God says go, and we say, uh, no. Why? Why are we like that? Why, why is Jonah like that? And I want to uh, suggest to you, as uh, others do as well, that beneath Jonah's nationalism, beneath his politics, beneath his disgust with God's command was a fundamental 
mistrust of God's character. Because Jonah couldn't see any good reason for what God was doing, he assumed that there weren't any good reasons. That's unbelief. It's Jonah doubting the wisdom and the goodness of God in the moment. God, I didn't sign up for this, we say. God, what in the world? And we doubt. You don't make the team. Someone in your family gets sick. Your job dries up. Someone hurts you. Finances get difficult. And since you can't see any good reason for what God is doing, you assume there isn't any. And instead of trusting God in these moments, we trust ourselves. Disbelieving God knows what's best, we assume we know what's best. And it becomes about our preferences. It become, life becomes about our feelings. And friends, this is as old as the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve trusted in their desires, their intuition, their preferences, rather than in God and his word. In the Garden of Eden, God said no about this one tree. Have all the other trees. Were there hundreds? Were there thousands? But not this one. Uh, God said no about this one tree, and Adam and Eve said yes. In the book of Jonah, God says yes about this one city, and Jonah says no. Unbelief. A total eclipse of the character of God in the life of people that should know better. It's Israel, when Israel comes right to the edge of the promised land. And it's time for Israel to go into the promised land. God in his mercy and grace is giving Israel the promised land. But what happens? Uh, the spies come back and the spy says, no, no, no. Uh, Ten of the twelve say, no, we can't do this because there's giants in the land. And Israel, like Jonah, runs in the opposite direction. I wonder... Is God saying go to you about something and right now you're saying no? Is God saying, yes, this is what I want to, for you, this is my plan for you, and, and you're saying no? Or is God saying no and you're saying, you know what, it just feels good? When God said, think about this, when God said go to Jonah, it was the greatest moment of grace in Jonah's ministry. God was appointing him to be the human agent to bring what history now tells us was the largest single localized revival in history. The, the greatest moment of grace. And Jonah says, no. He refuses. 
because he saw, he, he saw that what God was asking him to do as contrary to God's plan rather than central to God's plan because he couldn't see any good reason. He assumed there wasn't any. And friends, I don't know about you, but I do this regularly, and I got to assume you do. I'm a Jonah. And so are you. But God knows what you're facing. God knows what you are facing. God know, sees the brokenness around you. He, he knows your tendency to disappointment. He knows your, your, your tendency to, to bitterness, to resistance, uh, to, uh, to unbelief. Yet God has you right where he wants you to be right now. And he knows just the very thing to do in your life. And as a matter of fact, he will use the very thing you hate to make you great, the very thing you fear to grow your faith. Jonah is at the greatest moment of grace in his life. He can't see it. Don't miss this. Now let's go on. Let's move from Jonah to God, from uh, uh, disobedience, our tendency to disobedience, um, to God's mercy. And so we come to verse 4. The Lord sends a great wind, a violent storm. Uh, do you see the mercy? And you're saying, Rob, you need to retire. There's no mercy here. <laughs> you're losing it, buddy. Now, Rhonda might agree with that last part. But do you see it? God responds to Jonah not with condemnation, but with compassion. The mercy is the storm. God's, God doesn't cut down Jonah. He uses the storm to recalibrate him. It was the largest spiritual realignment in Jonah's life. And God works regularly to, to realign us if we will listen. And the way God does it is with a horrendous tropical storm. The weather channel was going crazy. And yet God, well, God is, as he always does, is he is calmly working his discipleship plan for his prophet, just as he does with you and me. It's mercy. Uh, now, let, don't misunderstand. Uh, the Bible in, in no way teaches that every storm in your life is the result of your sin. That, that is not a takeaway here. But the Bible does teach that every sin in our lives uh, disfigures us, uh, defaces us, uh, uh, can create uh, often havoc in, in our lives. A professor of mine years ago used to say regularly, we don't merely break God's commandments, we break ourselves against God's commandments. Hear that. 
We break ourselves against God's commandments when we break them. I mean, if you ignore what the Bible says about being a gentle, patient, uh, faithful husband or wife, your marriage is going to suffer, sometimes big time. If you ignore um, what the Bible says about how you treat other people, uh, you're going to have a real difficulty maintaining relationships. And I could go on and on, but what I want you to do here, and pardon the pun with Jonah, I want to go below the surface. Uh, and I want to talk about something that I, I think theoretically we grasp, but experientially uh, we don't, especially in the moments of failure, like Jonah's failure. And I, I, I want you to see this, that you might believe this, that you might be overwhelmed by the infinite mercy of God. Let me state it this way. We all know, as believers in Jesus Christ, that God is merciful, God is loving, God is compassionate, God is good. We all know that God doesn't condone sin. We all know, according to Hebrews chapter 12, that God disciplines his children when we sin. But what we may not know, and I mean experientially, is that our sin as believers actually intensifies God's love for us. Yet, your sin actually intensifies God's love for you. I, uh, parents, think about it. Uh, your child, child fails, your child uh, does something wrong uh, or, or something horribly wrong, and it pains you deeply, but you do not give that child up for adoption. Why is it that in the aftermath of us blowing it, which we do all the time, we act as orphans? As a matter of fact, when our child blows it and blows it uh, uh, big time, what does it do? It intensifies our commitment to pray. It intensifies our concern for that child. We find ourselves dominated uh, by that child. Uh, I have often said, uh, I am only as good as my kids are doing. And so when, when somebody blows it, man, what that does is it intensifies, activates my love for that child. Same thing with God and you. Your child is sick. I mean, the disease is sick, significant. What does that do? That intensifies your love, your concern. Man, it becomes 24 hours a day. What is humanity's biggest disease, greatest weakness, if it's not our sin? Not our sin. God doesn't turn away from you. God runs toward you. And so here, God violently, the word is used in verse 4, violently steps into Jonah's life. And that violence, I want you to understand, is pure, holy mercy. Jonah, I'm bringing you back to the center. Now, there's a bunch of passages in the Bible, because some of you are thinking, oh, wait a minute, you know, 
there's a bunch of passages in the Bible I could use to demonstrate this, but uh, let me take you to, since we're in uh, the Minor Prophets, and Jonah's the fifth of the 12 Minor Prophets, let, let me take you to another Minor Prophet, Hosea, and I want you to see what's going on here. Uh, we're going to look at Hosea, and God is speaking. I want you to understand God is speaking, and he's talking about the sin the pervasive sin of the nation of Israel. And look at this. God says, my people are determined to turn from me. But verse 8, how can I give you up? Ephraim, it's a synonym for Israel. How can I hand you over, Israel? My heart, now notice this, uh, my heart is changed within me and all my compassion is aroused. Because of your sin. Well, wait a minute. What about the holiness of God? Well, that brings us to the next verse, verse 9. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim or Israel again. For I am God. I am not a man, the Holy One among you, and I will not come against their cities. The cities of Israel he's talking about. Another way to translate that last part is I will not come to you in wrath. So what we have here is a horrific sin of Israel. I mean, go back to verse 7. My people don't just sin, they're determined to sin. They're bent as towards sin. And we have the sin of the nation of Israel collectively. We have the compassion of God. And we have the holiness of God. This is just amazing. And we know this theoretically, but we don't know it existentially. And so what happens is, is when we fumble or when we haven't been in church for a while or, or when things aren't going very well, we, you know, we just start to distance ourselves from God. Why? Because we think God is distancing himself from us. But look at verse 8. My compassion is aroused. Verse 8 shocks us because it tells us that when we sin, what goes on inside God's heart is heightened mercy without com compromising his holiness. I mean, so right on the heels of Jonah's disobedience, God sends mercy. It's called a storm. It's exactly what is going on here in this other minor prophet. We see this in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, this famous section on the holiness of God. Holy, 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 uh, uh, the angels say. And Isaiah is overcome with his sin, and what happens? The angel brings a coal and purifies Isaiah, picturing forgiveness. So in the context you have the holiness of God and you have the forgiveness or you have the mercy of God. And they coexist. Actually, you could say that the holiness of God expressed is the mercy of God. I want you to soak this in. I want you to think about this when you sin. when you're so down on yourself. Uh, 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 we thank God when I sin, um, 
uh, I, I tend to think, okay, God has given up on me, but Hosea uh, says otherwise, Jonah illustrates otherwise. And, and let me put it this, with, uh, this way with you. God always sides with you against your sin, not against you because of your sin. Not against you because of your sin. You want another illustration? How about a New Testament illustration? How about the father of the prodigal son? The prodigal son does gross injustice to his father, takes off, lives a life of sin. And so what is the father of the prodigal doing? Well, he goes out and he watches and he waits and he watches and he waits and one day he sees him coming. And he runs to him. And he hugs him. And he restores him. He is his son. It's mercy. And from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, the Bible is a story of God's mercy. Paul tells us God is the father of mercy. He tells us in the book of Ephesians, God is rich in mercy. God sides with you against your sin, not against you because of your sin. And no matter how great your sin, God's mercy is greater. I want to recommend this book, Dane Ortland's Gentle and Lowly. I've read it twice in the last couple of months. And he says this, according to Hosea chapter 11, the sins of those who belong to God open the floodgate of his heart of compassion for us. It's not our loveliness that wins his love. It's our unloveliness. And so before the foundation of the world, God the Father said to God the Son, are you willing? Are you willing to go? And unlike Jonah, Jesus didn't say no. He said yes. And he died to take our, unloving, our unloveliness and sin upon himself. Friends, God does not, God does not, God does not retreat from you when you sin. He moves towards you. Just as a parent does a child who's in trouble. God is not, he is not tight-fisted with his mercy. He is open-handed. He is not stingy. He is lavish. And what I want to do now is I want to give you some reasons why this matters, why this is life-changing, why living in light of the mercy, the felt mercy of God is the key to life. It's a key to understanding the Bible. So first of all, mercy matters because it reveals that you as a believer are wonderfully and in eternally imprisoned in divine love. And you can't get free. You are imprisoned in God's uh, love in Jesus Christ. Now, yes, you and I will not sin in heaven, but we are no less, no less secure here on earth. 
So you tell Satan, get behind me. And when you falter, fumble, and fall, man, you run to God. You don't run away from God like we tend to do. Okay. This is a, uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Let us approach with confidence the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. For the believer in Jesus Christ, God's throne is not a throne of judgment. It's a throne of nonstop, bottomless mercy. And so we approach the throne, not in timidity, not in fear, not in, not in guilt. We approach the throne knowing it's a, a throne of grace, so we approach it with confidence, and we receive mercy that flows forth. Grace to help in time of need. Do you know this? If you do, you will pivot to Jesus. Uh, second reason, understanding, apprehending, pushing to the core of our being, uh, divine mercy and why it matters so much is because the things that make you, I want you to understand the things that make you cringe the most about yourself are the things that make God hug you the hardest. I mean, Jesus has taken it all away. He is your brother. God, uh, God is your father. So here's what this means. This is, means you are free, like we saw wonderfully in the video, you are free to admit how messed up you are, right? And you don't need to pretend, and so many of us pretend. Because your identity isn't in you, it's in God's mercy for you in Jesus Christ. Your identity isn't in what you do, it's what Jesus has done for you. It's not in your record or your performance, it's in Jesus' record and Jesus' performance. Oh, I want you to see this. Third, mercy matters for you, I mean right now. Because it always, it always, it always, did I say always, it always outstrips your guilt and your shame. It's bigger. God's mercy is like an ocean without shore and without bottom. So stop, especially you perfectionists, beating yourself up. Man, repent confess and get back in the game. A fourth reason mercy matters is because, and here I'm going to say this again, the felt mercy, uh, uh, the existential, experiential mercy of God in your life is what brings you rest, peace, internal satisfaction. It's what calms you uh, God, you did this for me in Jesus. Uh, God, um, 
in the rain or in the sunshine. I, I see your, your mercy and you, you've done this for me. It's what calms you into joy. Generosity, uh, as I said earlier, a sacrifice. It, it, the experience, the ongoing experience of the tenderness, the gentleness, the, the patience of God. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? We understand 1 Corinthians 13 as we just uh, went through to the extent we understand those are descriptors of Jesus and his love for you. When we experience uh, the ongoing experience of the forgiveness, the tenderness, the compassion uh, of Jesus is what? makes you great spiritually it's mercy uh, mercy matters because it, it is alone is what enables us what melts us what softens us so we can extend mercy not judgment not anger to others and finally it matters because on that day when we as believers that radiant incredible day we stand before Jesus we will weep with relief and for a moment be stunned at how feeble our understanding of the depth of God's heart of mercy is. Mercy was there before the foundation of the world. Mercy is why you are in Jesus Christ. Mercy is what is going uh, to carry you and protect you in this life. It's what's going to, to bring you home. And it's what will make heaven an experience of endless joy. Assyria, endless cruelty. Heaven, endless joy. And so I, I just want to say, if you are here today and you're not sure where you are with Jesus or uh, you find this interesting but you haven't come to Jesus, I want to invite you to come to mercy. To see mercy on the cross of Jesus Christ where he died so that you might be forgiven. He died so that you might be adopted into his family. That the Bible calls mercy. Come to Jesus, trust him. And if you are here and uh, you've trusted Jesus and you've been trusting Jesus as your separate, uh, Savior for decades, I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, uh, you students, you children, to hold your head high. You are a child of mercy. You have nothing to fear. And may, may the mercy of God melt your heart into joyful humble obedience. Amen? Let's pray. Let's take a moment and if or where there are areas of disobedience, pockets of darkness in your life, uh, in the quietness of this moment, uh, confess that. Bring that into the light. Talk to Jesus about that. And when you have done that in that area or with that thing or in multiple areas, then go to God's mercy and praise God, thank God for the forgiveness and compassion and grace that is ours. Let's do that now.
so bother in our sin. We worship you for our forgiveness, the unending mercy of our Savior. Amen. Let's stand together and let's respond to his call. When the sea is calm and all is right, when I feel your favor flood my life, even in the good, I'll follow you. Even in the good, I'll follow you. When the boat is tossed upon the waves, when I wonder if you keep me safe, even in the storms, I'll follow you. Even in the storms, I'll follow you. I believe everything that you say you are. I believe and I have seen your unchanging heart in the good things, in the hardest part. I believe and I will follow you. I believe and I will follow you. When I see the when I feel I have no voice to sing, even in the want, I'll follow you. Even in the want, I'll follow you. I believe everything that you say you are. I believe and I have seen your unchanging. Say 
so, Father, hear our prayer. We believe, but often we don't believe. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to see your heart in our dark moments, our difficult moments, and our failure. Help us to live in light of the wonder of the grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness that is ours as adopted children of the King of Kings. And all God's people said, Amen. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent.